Well, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Beautiful day out, and we are glad you are here. I ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. <clears throat> Acts chapter 21, we'll be looking at verses 17 through verse 36 this morning. Again, we're continuing in this study in Acts, and Acts, <clears throat> as you see here, kind of shifts. We went through the first part of it there in the first really uh, 10 chapters of the gospel starting out small in Jerusalem and then advancing and then you get to this section on uh, Paul and him taking the gospel to the Gentiles and the first three missionary journeys and and that now has passed and now we're in this final home stretch where Paul has returned to Jerusalem where he, as we'll see in our passage, will be arrested and then we'll follow him on the trail all the way, in, all the way into Rome and ultimately as he attests to the gospel there in Rome. So we've hit this stretch here and as you saw last week, it leads for some interesting passages. It leads for some, some passages just as a preacher that are not the first ones you turn to when you're preaching in view of a call, if you understand what I mean. These, these are passages that, that dig deep into principles and, and the narrative of the text. And so where we left off last week was Paul had been warned not to go to Jerusalem. He'd been told, don't go there. He knew the dangers. He would be arrested and probably imprisoned and maybe even killed. The others knew the dangers. They knew he would be arrested, maybe even killed. And Paul says there at the end of last week's passage, verse 13, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then of course, as they closed it out, simply saying, let the will of the Lord be done. And so now it has led us up to that moment where Paul has come to Jerusalem, and that's where we arrive here in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, where the will of the Lord will be done. <clears throat> so follow along there with me, if you will. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 21. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in, 
And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Israel was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and mercy this morning as we gather and just as we sang, Father, your, your mercy is new every morning, so we rejoice in that. And God, we are also a people in need of it. It's not as if uh, we can even survive without you, Father, for you are the one who provides all things, and you are the one who, who cares for us, and it is your grace in our life, your grace in our life that, that gives us life. And so, Father, we pray that today, at the very least, we would be thankful, that we would express our thanksgiving in and through our worship and the hearing of your word, and that you would take your word and that you would apply it, Father, into our lives for your glory. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. May we not waste it, but may we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I went to the circus yesterday in town and we took the kid and uh, the young one and we went to the circus. I was mightily disappointed about 15 minutes in to realize that they did away with all animals. And so that was, that was frustrating. I had told the kid, uh, there's going to be animals there. There wasn't. It was just acrobats, right? And I had this brief thought of when I was young, when I was young and there were animals at the circus. And I remember having this thought of that trapeze guy, right? I could do that. If nothing else fails, I could be a trapeze artist. I really believe it. I mean, they're just swinging. And so I'm thinking, I can swing, I can do this, I can be a trapeze artist. And while I'm sitting there watching them yesterday, I mean, they have a net. And I'm watching them yesterday, and I'm thinking, you know what? I could have done that. I could have done that. And then intermission hit. And I went to stand up. 
and it took me five steps to straighten up because the chairs had hurt my back so bad. My point is, there's oftentimes this thought that we think will happen, right? But then reality hits us, and, and our past and understanding isn't quite what we romanticized it to be. The ideal is a lot different. And that's exactly how I think Paul is going into Jerusalem. I think it's important, we've, we've done this before, but maybe a little bit of biography here for Paul who is heading in. Paul is from Tarsus, which is in Cilicia, a, a large city. We, we, we know that Paul was a Jew and, and a Roman citizen at the same time, especially here in our passage, in these next few chapters. This is going to become of utmost importance. He even tells them as he gathers into them together, when he finally gets to speak after being arrested in chapter 22, he said he was brought up in this city. So as born in Tarsus, he was brought up in Jerusalem, most likely going there at age 13, whenever it was time for him to learn and to study, because he was a student of Gamaliel, the great Pharisee teacher there in Jerusalem. So brought up in Jerusalem, there's a sense in which Paul was coming home, and Paul was one who was a zealous Jew. In fact, that's where we met him. He was one who was so intent on keeping the law that he wanted to enforce others to keep the law and imprison them or kill them if they were speaking against the law. So Paul had become well known for his opposition of the early Christian movement there in Jerusalem. In fact, may even say that he was the leader amongst them or a leader amongst them as he was the one leading for arrests and walking around with warrants to pull them in, even the one overseeing the persecution of Stephen, which led to his death there through stoning. And then we know, I mean, we've been through this, of course, and you're aware that that comes Acts chapter 9, and Paul, this great persecutor of the church and persecutor of those who believe and, and zealous for the Jewish law, this Paul was met on the road to Damascus by none other than Jesus himself and converted in the faith started following after the Lord and pursuing him. That was, by the way, around, as we best know it, that year 33, not long after Jesus had died and been raised again. Paul was converted. And then as we read through Acts, we, we find him visiting Jerusalem, although it's different from this point on. It's, it's not like it used to be, right? Every time he goes to Jerusalem, there's now trouble. I mean, this was his hometown. This is, this is where he was raised up. This was his roots. These were his people. But now when he goes back, there's something quite different. The first visit is in about A.D. 36, three years after his conversion. Paul meets with James and Peter for, for two weeks, it tells us in Acts. And he spoke with the Jews and, and told them of Christ, and they tried to kill him. And Paul had to leave out of Jerusalem just after those two weeks. His second visit came 14 years later, around the year 46, 47. He was accompanied this time by Barnabas and Titus. He was telling them of how the gospel has gone to the Gentiles, and he was very confident in his calling as a missionary as he spoke to the leaders there. His third visit was in A.D. 49. This was the Jerusalem conference of Acts chapter 15, 
when the issue came up about what were the Gentiles to do when it came to the law and, and how were they to, to be presented with it and how are they, what were they to keep and not keep. And then the fourth visit was in Acts 18, a quick visit, greeted the church, saw them quickly, and then left. That was around the year 52 AD. And finally, now we have our fifth visit. Our fifth visit here, 57 AD. Some years after Paul's conversion, some time after Christ's death and resurrection. And what we find is that the church had grown rapidly even in Jerusalem, but there was trouble. Paul's calling and desire was to reach the Gentiles. And at the same time, he, he did not want to forsake his witness amongst the Jews. Now, now recognize this issue here. You have the Jews and the Gentiles. That's the only two groups, right? And, and, and the Jews are the ones which Christ came through. And, and they're the ones who had the rituals of the Old Testament and the ceremonial law and these things to keep and to follow. And now, and now the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles were not Jews. That's what defined them. That's what it meant to be a Gentile. You are not a Jew. And so how do you welcome them into this Jewish-based religion, if you will, that has come? How do you welcome them in? And this becomes the issue. And for Paul, he wants to welcome the Gentiles in because Jesus, as the Old Testament has promised, is a light for the nations, not just for the Jews. He's for all people, Savior and Lord. And so how do we welcome them in? And then how do they come into this with this Jewish background and history even there? Paul did not want to forsake either. He wanted to reach the Gentiles, but he didn't want to forsake his Jewish brothers and sisters. When you read Romans, you find that very thing as he's arguing for his definition of salvation. And then you get to that question in 9, 10, and 11. What about the Jews? And he's arguing that we must not forsake them. We must proclaim Christ to them as well. When he was with the Jews, he practiced Jewish customs. He kept the law to win the Jews. When he was with the Gentiles, he abandoned Jewish customs, such as food and purity laws, to win the Gentiles. Paul was willing to do whatever it take to, takes to win either one of them. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you get his understanding of this. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, Paul says it this way, and, and listen as he makes his argument here to the Corinthians. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm, when I'm with the Jews, I become a Jew. I do their things so I can win some of the Jews. When I'm with the Gentiles, I do what they do because I want to win some of them. All of this for Paul was so that he may win some to Christ. Many, especially the Jews, saw this as hypocrisy for Paul. How do you act like this with them and, 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 and different when they are there? But Paul saw it not as hypocrisy, but flexibility. 
Whenever Paul had Titus, he refused to circumcise Titus. Titus was a Gentile. He said, I will not circumcise him. But Timothy, Timothy came along who had a Jewish mother, and Paul did circumcise Timothy. Why is this the case? On on so many different times, Paul was willing to do whatever it took within the gospel presentation and gospel understanding to win those around him with the gospel. Again, many of the Jews saw this as hypocrisy. In fact, Paul reports in 1 Corinthians 11 that he was beaten by the Jews on more than five occasions, whether in synagogues or in the temple. He was persecuted. That punishment of of receiving beatings or lashings, the 40 minus 1, if you will, would have been administered in the temple itself or in the synagogue itself. For Paul, bringing these Gentiles into this presence or into this place, the Jews did not see his flexibility as flexibility at all, but as, as undermining the very basis and foundation of their religion. But Paul's goal, Paul's goal, understand, in being flexible, whether he's with the Jews or the Gentiles, was not to avoid being persecuted. Many people may think that's the case. Let's be flexible. That way I can get out of this in any way and not face any persecution. But as we see, the the Jews lashed him more than five occasions. They, They persecuted him because of this very thing. Paul's reason and his goal and his flexibility with these things under the gospel was not to avoid persecution, but to reach as many as possible with the gospel. To reach as many as possible with the truth of Christ. So upon his arrival into Jerusalem, he's greeted warmly. And he gets to report as he meets with James of how God has been using him and his ministry to advance the gospel among the Gentiles. Imagine Paul in his opportunity now with James. And and no, this is James, the the brother, half-brother of Jesus. The James that was the brother of John of Zebedee had already been killed in chapter 12. And now this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is leading the church. And it seems, as the elders are there, that most of the apostles, every other time Paul went to Jerusalem, he would meet with Peter, he would meet with other apostles. But now... It seems that they had spread out, maybe because of persecution or more, because it's James and now the elders or leaders of the church. And so he meets with James and Paul in his effort to to speak to them about what God is doing and, and knowing there could be some persecution, knowing there could be some that are upset because of what's happening among the Gentiles, he relates. And I love how it puts it, one by one, the things that God has done among the Gentiles. He tells of every story, of every place, of what God is doing in an effort to show that God is in this work. That the gospel is advancing and God is in it. He left out no detail. Excited about God and his power on display to save even the Gentiles. They glorified God, it said, when they heard it. But then, then the problem As it tells us in verse 20, they glorified God and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. There are thousands now in this city of Jerusalem who were Jews who have come to believe in Jesus. And these believing Jews, it tells us, are zealous for the law in in verse 20. 
They are zealous for the law, and therefore they have a problem with you, Paul. It seems as if you are proclaiming Christ and you are not zealous for the law. In fact, it says that you are teaching them to forsake Moses. But that's not true for Paul. Paul is not teaching the Gentiles to forsake Moses. The law of Moses for Paul was not forsaken, but fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And all that had come with it, especially those ceremonial aspects of it, all of those who have been fulfilled in Christ. So all of the sacrificial pictures of the sacrificial system had been fulfilled in Christ. There's no longer need for the blood of bulls and goats and to, and to bring your pigeons to the temple to be sacrificed. Christ Jesus is our final and complete sacrifice, Paul taught. So those things aren't needed anymore. They only were symbols that pointed to the greater. And as the author of Hebrews would write in this same vein, the blood of bulls and goats could never save anyone. It is Christ. And those things only held a place until Christ came. And now he has come. So Paul's teaching was not to forsake Moses, but to look to the one who has come, who is greater than Moses, who has finally delivered us. The sacrificial system, it has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The food laws that were setting them apart as distinct over against the others, those purity laws that, that set Israel apart as different from the other nations, those now have been done away with because it is Christ who makes them pure. It is Christ who makes them holy. Christ is the one who fulfills all of those. All of that has been done in him. The prophet and priest and king that was reigning in Israel and over all of them has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He is our prophet who has come to give us the word of God. He is our priest who intercedes on our behalf. He is the king who rules and reigns in God for us. All of these things have been fulfilled in him. Especially this one issue of circumcision for Paul. Circumcision was a ceremonial physical thing that they did to mark people off as the people of God. But, but as Paul teaches to the Colossians, what matters now is not physical circumcision, but circumcision of the heart. Do you have a new heart? Or as he says in Galatians chapter 6, when he's speaking to the church there in Galatia, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What matters now is that you have a new heart. For the Jewish believers, in addition to faith in Christ, they wanted to obey all of these things. They wanted to keep all of these ceremonial aspects as well. But as Paul preached to the Gentiles, he saw no need for them to keep these because Christ has fulfilled them. These Jewish believers... Paul, as he meets with them, recognizes that that's fine if they want to do that. It's, it's okay, but it's not what's most important. Some of these things and their practices should not be forced on others. Now, Paul wanted to reach people. That becomes the, 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 the focus, I think, here. Paul was doing whatever he could do to reach others. And that, my friends, should be our great desire. And when I say that, I say that about all of us. Having done this background, let's get to this place. Let's come down to the bare minimum. Paul had a desire to reach others with the gospel of Christ. Therefore, as we see this for us, we come and going, 
That should be our same desire. Our desire should be to reach others for the sake of Christ. And so when we see Paul's methods, what can we learn from his methods? And what does he do? Because that is very hard. His very motivation was to reach others. This is what we mean when we say to establish the church here at Taylor's Verse. The primary building block to establishing the church of Jesus Christ is to reach others in the name of Jesus Christ. You can't build a church without proclaiming the gospel. You can't build a papal, a, a, a church into existence. You can't establish it without a proclamation of the good news of Christ. And that's just not it. There's more. What about the Great Commission? Jesus' final words to his people, he says, All authority has been given to me. Now you go and therefore make disciples, proclaim the good news. What about Jesus in his ministry there in Samaria as he looks as they come and, and the, the disciples come along and they say, where did you get food to eat? And he said, my food is to the will of God. Look at all of these coming from that woman at the well from the city. See, the, the fields are ripe for harvest. Jesus saying, here is my mission, not only, not only to come and, and to live and to die, but to proclaim and to welcome others in with the gospel or that parable of spreading the seed the realities of heaven and hell all of these things should lead us to sharing and proclaiming the good news of christ to win as many as possible paul's motivation should be our motivation how we live how we establish our lives how we do our routines how we focus even our abilities to win as many as possible. Paul becomes our great example in this. And if we're going to reach people with the gospel, then we must, in some ways, look to Paul, even in this passages. If we're going to reach people with the gospel, then we must step into hard situations. That's our first thing. If we're going to reach people with the gospel, then we must step into hard situations. Paul knew it would not be easy in Jerusalem. And that's an understatement. Paul knew what was coming. In fact, he was told over and over again, here's what's coming. Agabus came up and said, here's what's coming. All of these things are coming. So Paul knew going into Jerusalem was going to be difficult. But Paul saw this constrained by the Spirit, it said. Paul saw this as God leading him there for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. It's going to be difficult. He's going to have to answer questions about his theology. He'll become on trial quickly here in our passage. He'll be accused of things he did not do. And these accusations will be flung at him. And he'll have to answer those. His life will be on the line. Even as we see there in, in, in his understanding back in chapter 21 verse 13 when he says, I'm ready to be imprisoned or even be killed. Whatever it may be, Paul knew going into this, this was going to be a difficult place to do ministry in Jerusalem. But he was doing it for the sake of the gospel. Rarely will gospel advance happen without at least us being uncomfortable or in a situation that we do not feel absolutely in control of. 
Rarely is it going to happen whenever people just come to our feet as we sit on our comforts of our own couch and just say, tell me how to get saved. Rarely are those things going to come. And we praise God for when they may and how they may. But more likely, God is going to need us to become uncomfortable real fast so that we can win others for the sake of the gospel. If you are just concerned about your comfort in situations, then you will never, never be a witness for Christ. Paul was not concerned about his comfort. For us, of course, it normally doesn't get as dramatic as it does here for Paul, right? It normally doesn't get as dramatic as us having to go through some ritual, shaving our head, having people come up and start pointing accusations, arresting us, yelling at us, away with him. Rarely does it get that dramatic. But how often do we avoid situations even smally, small, uncomfortable situations rather than seek to help those with the purpose of the gospel? How often do we avoid those uncomfortable moments when what we need to do is step into them and pray the Lord gives us an opportunity to share our faith? Rarely is the gospel going to advance within our comfort zone. Paul knew this, and Paul goes anyway. I'm not saying, hear me when I say this, I'm not saying or giving permission for anybody to get nosy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying for you to, to go up and get in everyone's business. That's not what I'm talking about. But also, I don't think that you're going to lead someone to Christ without getting in their situation. Even in the difficulties of it. Even in those hard places. On my desk in my office is a little placard. Y'all know the placard it has your name on it or something like that? So many of you have been in there, and it's your first question. On my desk, it says, tall white devil, right there. Tall white devil. So people always say, what in the world does tall white devil mean? What does that mean? And I get to tell this story of going into South Asia and entering into this remote village. And we, we went into this remote village. We had to hike to get there. It's probably about 15 miles up a mountain. This is back when I still thought I could be a trapeze artist. And so we hiked up to get to this remote place. And we were met. It's about five of us. We had a doctor with us. We were giving out blankets. That was my role, be able to give out blankets. I mean, I'm talking, you can't get there from here. And so we were giving out blankets, we were doing some things, we were met with the village witch doctor. Hinduism, of course, was their religion, but it had been mixed with even communism and animism and other things. And this witch doctor was the one who was in charge of the spiritual things of it. And when I say witch doctor, I'm not making up that name, that's what they referred to him as. And so he was in charge, and so we were met, and he started screaming. As we walk through the village, he's yelling at us, he's saying things at us, he's even spitting at us, telling us to go. I have this nice new blanket. I mean, it's not some cheap Goodwill blanket. This is one we purchased that still has the tags on it, okay? So we're not trying to give away junk. And I walk up and I step to this lady who's on her porch and she's sweeping and she seems sweet. And I offer her a blanket and she starts spitting out some words. I don't know what they mean, but I do know I don't think she's happy. And I look at my friend who's with me. I said, what did she just say? And he starts laughing. And he said, 
she just told you or told me to get that tall white devil off my porch. All right. Here's your blanket, you know. Whack back away. In this village, we were met with difficulty over and over again. Not welcome, not wanted to be there. It was time for us to brush the dust off our feet and to say, we're done. We need to get out of here, maybe even for our own safety. We gathered outside the village, us five, and we just simply prayed. And as we finished up praying, I opened my eyes and that witch doctor was standing right here. I'm talking to you. You want to get up in somebody's business. His face was right here. And of course, he's about this tall. So his face <laughs> was right here. And I looked at him and, you know, thinking, what in the world? He said, my wife told me to come and ask if your doctor would see our baby. Two things. Don't get the wife mad in any context or any place, right? This man was sending us off, but his wife said, my baby's sick. Go get the doctor. Would you come and see my baby? And I said, hold up. You have been spitting at us. You have been doing this. You have been doing that. You've got all these things and what have you, yet you want us to enter in. I tell you what, we'll come. But here's what's going to happen. When we get there, I get to speak to your village. The wife sent him. Okay. We go up. The baby has a double ear infection. They have no medicine for this. We do. We have simple antibiotics. We, of course, pray. The Lord has provided that we have what we need to, to meet the need of that child. We pray, and I just told him, I said, you put these in here, the baby will be fine in a day or two, and our God has provided this for you. Of course, I said, now I get to speak, and for an hour and a half, because I took the long version, I stood there, and his whole village heard the gospel from beginning to end, walking through creation to consummation of all things. And at the end, I gave this message, and I said, anyone want to believe today in Christ, right? And the witch doctor started screaming. And basically, he was saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare invite these devils in. Don't you dare do this. Don't you dare do that. He started screaming. And so he's threatening others to, to do it. And at the end of it, finally, this one old man steps up in the middle of the village and says, I believe. The witch doctor ran across the little pad there and just, I don't know if y'all remember Wahoo McDaniel. Some of y'all do. <laughs> just chopped him right across the chest and knocked him down. We stood the man up. We got the witch doctor back and the old man said, I've been waiting my whole life for hope because I knew there was something greater. This Christ is greater. I believe. And his final word to me was this, I may die for it, though. And he turned around and walked into his little cabin. And he shut the door. It's the last I've seen him. But I truly believe I'll see him again in glory. And if we're not willing to step into hard situations, we'll never find those people in those places. 
And I'm not just talking about the deepest, darkest villages in South Asia. I'm talking about our neighbor's house and our friend's house and our loved one's house. If we're not willing to step into those situations, we will never, ever find those people who are desperate for the hope that we have in Christ. Paul was willing to go, even though he knew it would cost him. He was ready for those tough situations, but he was secondly, he was ready for those hard conversations. If we're going to reach people for Christ, it will be through difficult and hard conversations. That's what Paul had. He told them of who God was. He told them of what God has done. And after telling them all of that, they praised the Lord and then they laid it on him. But here's our problem with you, Paul. And none of us like to hear about what our problems are, right? In fact, if I was Paul, I'd be a little frustrated. I just told you what God had done redeeming the Gentiles and saving them all over Asia. I just told you how he's building the church and now you're frustrated at the message now you're mad about this? We'd be a little bit taken back by this. Paul here knew it was going to be a hard conversation. It's almost as if they did not hear him. He had to defend his beliefs. He had to defend them against people who had been raised against them. And if we're going to share or win others with Christ, we're going to have to have hard conversations. We're going to have to defend what we believe according to God's word against others who were raised against it. Raised by this world, raised by the lies that the world throws at them. We're going to have to defend it against all of those things. We're going to have to stand on things that are unpopular. And Paul was doing that right here. He stood on the truth that was unpopular in that place. He stood on the truth of what God has done through Christ and how he has set us free from the, the burden of the law so that we can follow after him by belief in him only. He stood on that and he had to defend himself and it was a hard conversation. Especially hard when he realizes he was right. That they had misunderstood these things and Paul is saying, here's the truth. I, I know it to be the case. Paul writing to the Corinthians summarized his doctrine and his preaching with one clear line. He says, I committed to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified amongst you. Paul saying, that's all I proclaim. That's who I am. That's what I'm giving you. There is no ceremony. There's no attachment to anything. I'm just simply telling you, it's Jesus and him crucified. Jesus and him alive. That's the presentation that Paul makes. And he has to defend himself over against that truth with these Jews in this place. False accusations thrown at him. Long doctrine conversations he's going to have to have. I remember sharing the gospel in a different context, in a different place that was built upon tradition and ancestors. And, and when one person believed, he simply looked at me and said, I believe, but who will bury me? For us, we're thinking, what in the world? But for him, he knew that believing in Christ was going to mean that his whole family was going to forsake him. That everybody would leave him in that and, and, and they would leave him out and away from the family. So who's going to take care of him even after death? For us, it seems so small. For him, it was everything. And you talk about a hard conversation. A hard conversation to say, here's what it means to follow Christ and here's what it's going to cost you. These hard conversations, if we're going to reach people, we must have them. We can't shy away from them. Don't get off track when sharing your faith. 
let me remind you, especially in this year, politics can't save anybody. Don't get off track into rabbit holes and other places that take us away from the very truth of the gospel that are there and meant to distract in conversations, not to point people to Christ. Point them back over and over again and say, I knew nothing but Jesus and him crucified. We must be willing to stand on these truths even when nobody else will in these hard conversations. These tough situations and hard conversations call for us finally to have a true humility. We must humble ourselves to God's will. Paul's humility has seen his willingness to go through the purification ritual that they put there. Paul knows that he, he, he doesn't need this, but this is, what, this is what he says he must do in order to reach the Jews. So he said, okay, I'm willing to do it. He humbles himself to go through this very ritual because he's fighting for the unity of the people, the body, the church. This is not a compromise for Paul. This is a concession. Paul was willing to concede where, where no vital principle was at stake. When no vital principle of the gospel, a vital truth of the gospel is at stake, Paul says, I'll concede there. These are just mere customs now because of Christ. And Paul understood that. I'm willing to do those things to win others. I'll concede when there's no vital principle at stake. Willing to put his reputation on the line. Willing to set aside dignity. Put aside all of this for the sake of his spiritual family. He's humbling himself so that others may believe. you got to step into hard situations. you got to have hard conversations. And you cannot be about yourself if you're going to lead others to Christ. You're going to be a soul winner as Paul seeks to do. The unity of the church was more important than himself. What Christ had done, Paul was following in his example. This whole scene reminds us of Jesus himself, who set his eyes toward Jerusalem and went there and was hated by his brothers and imprisoned and ultimately killed. All of this points to what Christ has done. Paul is just following his example. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also have the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. When Jesus goes to the cross, he says, not my will, but your will be done. When Paul goes to Jerusalem, he says, not my will, but the Lord's will be done there in verse 14 of chapter 21. The humbling of ourselves is a prerequisite for the advancement of the gospel itself. He could have said, forget them. They're too hard-headed. It's too much. I can't, I can't keep dealing with this. I've got my ministry to the Gentiles. I'm going there. Forget these people. He could have definitely said that. They're too set in their ways. Paul had told them and in writing to, Rome, uh, to the Romans, he had said, my desire is to go on to Spain. Well, that, that could have been what Paul does here. Forget Jerusalem. I'm heading on to Spain to proclaim the gospel there. But no, he knew this needed to be addressed. So he went. He knew the gospel needed to be heard and seen and understood and what's happening among the Gentiles. So he went. He's setting his wishes aside to go to Spain for the Lord's will to go to Jerusalem. 
And so it is for us, right? What is God's will for us? To know his word and to follow him and to proclaim it. To proclaim it. Not setting ourselves up, but proclaiming the Lord. Tough situations, hard conversations require and demand humility from God's people. To reach others, this is what's needed. And it's worth it. I love the parable that Jesus told of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them ran off. And how that one ran off and that shepherd went after him into probably hard places. And when he got to that sheep, you know that was a hard conversation, having to coax him over and bring him to him. But when he returns back, it says he rejoiced. Rejoice with me, he says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, Jesus writes, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's worth it. It's worth it to step into hard situations. It's worth it to have those difficult conversations. It's worth it to humble ourselves and to proclaim the good news of Christ so they may believe. And we rejoice. We rejoice. What did Jesus do? Not what would he do. What did he do? He did the very same thing. He went into a hard situation, had those hard conversations, and he humbled himself to the point of death so that we may have life. So must we follow after our Savior, just as Paul did. He's calling us to do it. When we pray, when we pray for those we love, we pray with all intensity that they come to know Christ. Prayer is the beginning of it. But the next step is just as important to go into a hard situation, into a tough conversation, so that they may know and hear the good news of Christ. And we rejoice. If you're here today, let me be clear. If you're listening to me at all still, there is no ritual or custom that can save you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is that day that we believe. And if you're a child of God today who has someone in your life that the Lord has laid on your heart, as we said, that is lost, pray. Step into a hard situation in a hard, tough conversation and humble yourself that the Lord may bring them to salvation. Paul is our example today in this. Let's pray together.